All the gold in the world I own is right here on my finger. But some people spend their whole lives trying to acquire this precious metal that in heaven it's used like asphalt is down here. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 21 of the Revelation, presenting the third of a three-part message entitled, When Heaven Comes to Earth. And indeed, our passage from verse 15 to the end of the chapter describes the vision John the Apostle has given of heaven and of the new Jerusalem, which will come down from heaven and occupy and replace the old earth, which will have been devastated during the tribulation period. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he is camped on verse 22, in which John notes that there is no temple in this new Jerusalem. Babylon, if you remember, is the Antichrist's capital that he will reign from during the seven-year reign of his false government. And that city is described as the great harlot. By contrast to this false Messiah, God's city is called the holy city. And she's not called a harlot. She's called the wife of the true Messiah of the Lamb of God. So the closeness here of the words between 17.1 and this text are unmistakable. And God, among other things, I think is affirming, look, there's only two groups of people. And you must choose your way. You can choose the world's way, which the majority of people will do during the time of the tribulation, or you can choose God's way. But we have a choice to make today, and we must declare which side we're on. Someone asked me yesterday, well, do I have to come down front and say that I'm a Christian? I said, well, you don't have to do anything. No one makes you do anything. But if you know Jesus, you won't be ashamed of him. You'll be willing to publicly identify with him. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod. The fact that the angel's measuring rod is made out of gold reflects, among other things, I think, the dignity of the task that God has given him as he measures the gates and the walls. And the only utensils, of course, that are found in the tabernacle and later the temple are all made out of gold. But here in the New Jerusalem, even this measuring rod is made out of gold. Notice the proportions as he measures the city here in verse 16. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. God is giving us the measurements of this city, and he is reminding us that the length, the width, and the height are equal. In other words, it's as long as it is wide, and it's as wide as it is high. Now, occasionally, this was true maybe 50 years ago, 75 years ago, and some of their books are still around, you'll get some sloppy expositor who will say that the New Jerusalem is three-sided and they'll have what I call pyramidal theology. They, they, they describe heaven as a pyramid. That's just not true. Every single reference here is clearly of a square. Technically, it's a cube. And the word that's used here describes a four-sided city, Petragomos. With that said, I don't think for a moment that God would model his holy city after the pagan pyramids of Egypt that was worshiping a false god, the sun god, Ray. 
In addition, in 1 Kings 16, in verses 19 and 20, God describes the Holy of Holies. And how does he describe it? In the same fashion as a cube. Let me read it to you. Then he prepared an inner sanctuary within the house in order to place there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in width, and 20 cubits in height. Again, he's describing three dimensions of it, but we know from other passages it is literally cube shape. It's not pyramidal. And he overlaid it with pure gold. He, was over, he also overlaid the altar with cedar. It's almost like a miniature model of the Holy of Holies. And we're told in the Greek Bible that it is 12,000, and attached to that word is the Greek word stadion. And a stadia is, you've got the marginal note there in the NES. And so translating the Greek, the New American Standard rightly informs us that it's 1,500 miles on each side. Now, sometimes people will say, well, is there really room for all those who will go to heaven? Friend, this city would extend from Canada to Mexico, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Rockies, but it's also cubed, indicating its height. Now, think about this for a moment. Here is a picture of the tallest building in the world. It's in Dubai, the Burj Khalifa Tower there on the Arabian Gulf. It's 2,717 feet tall. Now, here's a picture of the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, 29,029 feet above sea level. Now, if we were to compare these three structures and put them side by side, as the next slide indicates, way down there in the bottom right-hand side, you might be able to see the tallest building in the world next to the tallest mountain in the world next to God's city. Now, again, it's, that doesn't perfectly represent the dimensions in terms of a cube, but I just want you to see in terms of height and the differences that this particular place has. It goes way up into the uh, tromosphere, past the stratosphere, 15 miles into the sky when it will sit on the new heaven and the new earth. It is so high that God just wants to shout, only I could do something like this. He is the God of heaven and on earth. He is the all-powerful God, and his fingerprints were all over this place. Now, sometimes people have asked, well, how many can it fit? Henry Morris, the great biblicist, wrote some great commentaries on Genesis he predicts that in the history of the world, 100 billion people have lived. I don't know, but let's just say he's right, that 100 billion people have lived in the history of the world. And let's just say for the sake of argument, 20% of those were saved. That would mean there's 20 billion people in heaven. If that were true, they could each have their own private estate of 75 acres. I mean, it's a big, big place. Now, here on Earth, of course, we live on the outside, uh, we are bound by gravity. We need gravity, or we'd obviously float away. But people today in the New Jerusalem, they're living on the inside. And this is the place God has for you if you know Christ as your personal Savior. And remember, this is just the capital city. 
Most people have a very truncated view of what the future is like. Oh, yeah, we're going to heaven, that's it. And No, this is just the capital city of what God has prepared. And the largeness of the Father's house is really an expression of His greatness. And sometimes we don't always think about how great the creation is, maybe as much as we should. Let's say Saturn were in the place of the moon. This is what it would look like. Here's a comet, a single comet, just one comet. If you were to place it next to a city, that is what it would look like. When you look up into the sky at night, as this next slide shows, you see that circled area. That's all man can observe from Earth with the naked eye. We call it the Milky Way. And here is a bigger picture of the Milky Way, just a dot in light of the 100,000 or so galaxies that we have been able to map through telescopes and the like. And they say there are billions of galaxies. What I'm trying to say is we haven't seen anything yet. It is so great. It is so magnificent. And when God creates, He always creates as an expression of His omnipotence, of His wisdom, and all of His power. Heaven is a proportionate place. Let's also think about from this passage that heaven is a priceless place. It's priceless. This place is beyond value. It is priceless. It is obvious just by looking at the walls, and we haven't even gone inside yet, of how magnificent it is. Look at verse 17. And he measured its wall, 72 yards. The Greek says 144 cubits. This city, 144 cubits or 216 feet or 17, 72 yards thick. I mean, think about that. The walls are three quarters of a football field, which are proportionate to this city itself. And he underscores here that these measurements are according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Just to give us a clear definition here, he wants us to know that the angel is not using angelic measurements. He's using the same measurements that we would use here on earth. The cubit, the measure that a man uses, is the same measure that the angel is using. In other words, these measurements are being taken in a way that those reading this text on earth fully understand its implications. Now, in verse 18, he begins to describe what the walls are made out of. The material of the wall was jasper. Now, the word material is a Greek word that uh, indicates the very substance. Here's a picture of what Jasper looks like typically. Can you imagine approaching this city? Here's just a Jasper stone. We have these stones and chips. Here's the color of the city's walls as you approach it. Blood red. And what a reminder that no one will enter this city but by the blood of Christ. Look further, verse 18, the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The whole city appeared to shine, the Scripture says, like pure gold. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, you're struck by the color of the city. It's called the Golden City. When I was here recently, I captured a picture of this hotel. Here's even, oh, no, excuse me, this is, uh, this is not the picture. Well, well, let me talk about this first. 
you can go today to a place called the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount was the structure that Herod built, and on top of it sat the temple. So he, he built this rectangular box around it so that he could level off the top, and then he restructured the whole temple. He, really quite a spectacular guy, not in terms of his morality, but in terms of his ability to make things. And this is a picture of just one of the stones. It's not visible from street level because street level originally was far below. So you can go, out, go down into these tunnels and you can see uh, what these stones are like. And this particular stone is uh, 45 feet long. It's 12 feet high. It's 14 feet deep. It weighs 600 tons. They're baffled how they could have placed that stone. This is just one of the foundation stones. Now, above it are stones that the Muslims later built, but this is one of the original foundation stones to the Herodian temple. Uh, I guess the slide's out of order. Bring back the picture of that hotel. There we go. That should be before this. Maybe you could fix it for the next service. Here's just a modern hotel. And it has kind of a golden hue to it, especially when, it's sun, when the sun sets. When the Brits took over Jerusalem in 1917, shortly thereafter, they made a mandate that from then forward, the buildings in Jerusalem could only be made with Jerusalem limestone. And if you've ever been there at a sunset, the city looks almost golden. It's just, it's beautiful. And of course, the Brits did this as born-again believers, many of them, to affirm the city above, the golden city above. And so they had it made out of limestone. Let's read further, verse 19. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. You might want to write above these stones the colors if you don't know them already. The first foundation stone was jasper. Typically, that's blood red. The second, sapphire, which is a deep blue stone. And in Exodus chapter 24, it's the stone under God's feet. The third stone here is chalcedony. This is a greenish blue kind of stone. The fourth is emerald. It's a deep green kind of hue to it. Let's keep reading, verse 20. The fifth, sardonyx. Gemologists tell us that this is a white stone with bands of brownish streaks encircling it. The sixth is sardius. It's a, a deep red gemstone. The seventh is chrysolite, and it's a gold-colored gemstone. The eighth is beryl. It refers to kind of a teal blue kind of stone. The ninth is topaz. Many of you have topaz stones. It's the greenish uh, golden color. The tenth is chrysoprase. That's kind of a pale green gemstone. The eleventh is jaseth. It's a violet color. And then the twelfth stone here is amethyst, and it's a rich, deep purple. Now, we haven't even walked in the inside yet. These are just the foundation stones. And John's description just kind of staggers the imagination as he uses these precious stones in this precious place. And it's stunning. We, we buy them in chips today. <laughs> the foundation 
is made out of these magnificent stones. This is the Father's house. It's nice. It's comfortable. It's pleasing. You know, when someone comes to your house, you want to make it nice, don't you? I mean, someone you love, some special guest, you just want to make it nice. This, as much as anything, is not just an expression of God's riches. It's Him wanting to make it nice because He loves us. In verse 21, John now describes the gates in the main street. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. Now, if you're a good real estate agent, you're always going to affirm to the person's house that you're selling, look, at least make their front door look really good. Paint it up, clean it up. Why? Because that's the first impression. Well, God makes his 12 doors look really, really sharp. And um, the Apostle John is showing us here these front doors, so to speak. Now, we've already learned back in verse 12, we read it already, that the name of the 12 sons of Israel are are inscribed on these doors, so to speak. We saw last time that each of the the gate towers bear one of the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And again, it's affirming God's plan for the Jew in light of the fact that today more and more Christians are denying that we need to hear that. And we're told here that each one of the gates was a single pearl a single pearl. Now remember, verse 17 says the thickness of the wall was 144 cubits, or 220 feet, or 72 yards, translated into English. And John is reminding us that these pearls have to fit within that structure. If you took the roof off of this building, one of these pearls wouldn't even begin to fit into this auditorium. It is so big. I mean, this is really amazing, and and how appropriate that you would walk through a gate with a pearl. Not some other stone, but a pearl. Why? Because of the way a pearl is made. A little piece of sand gets in, and it irritates the oyster, and he begins to cover that grain of sand with a soft, shiny substance over and over and over again, and then it hardens into a glowing pearl. And how fitting, because just as the oyster was wounded, God's Son was wounded for us. And we will be reminded that even as you walk through the door, these gates are forever a testimony of what took place there on Golgotha. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. You know, gold is pretty commonplace to this place. All the gold in the world I own is right here on my finger. But some people spend their whole lives trying to acquire this precious metal that in heaven it's used like asphalt is down here. Look further, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, the Greek word here for street is singular. It's not streets, but street. And it refers to the main artery, to the city square, to multiple, or to multiple streets. That's what the word means. But because the street will be continuous, even when it changes in direction, you wouldn't be wrong to say that the streets, plural, in heaven are paved with gold. Now, with that said, please note this is not some lower-grade gold. This is pure, and he underscores it with the words transparent like glass. 
You say, Pastor Carl, do you believe that we will literally walk on streets of gold? You better believe it. I will have a real resurrected body with a real resurrected foot, and I will walk on real streets that are literally made out of gold. That's what God said. He said what he meant, and we should believe it. And gold is so appropriate because it typifies the greatness of God and the deity of God. We'll talk about that later on this month. Now, remember Hebrews 11 and verse 10. The city whose architect and builder is God. That's what that text says. He is a magnificent creator. And we are going to be absolutely blown away when we are invited and ushered into this place. It's priceless. Now, in the final paragraph, he gives two more dimensions of this place. It's a permeated place. Heaven is a permeated place. Look further now as it's described in verse 22. Look, this is so much better than all this nonsense in these books. I mean, I get more calls over the years in the Bible line over these nonsensical books that are promoted in charisma and Christianity today and by nonsense publishers where there's so much confusion that's being propagated in our day. I wouldn't buy Christianity today anymore. I wouldn't buy Charisma Magazine with all their charismaniac crackos who were promoted. We'll talk about that when we come to Revelation 22. And I wouldn't support a lot of these publishers. Lifeway, they've gone down the tubes. They had to close all their stores this year. I think that was God's discipline on them. Nine, heaven is a permeated place. Look now at verse 22. And I saw, he says, no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. John noted that some items were missing from this city. He says there's no temple. Now, that's interesting. Why is there no temple? Because I thought earlier we had read there was a temple. There was. And I dust off your minds with Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. I know it seemed a millennium ago that we studied it. But there we read, another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it the prayers of the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. If you remember in Revelation 11 and verse 19, John wrote, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And if you remember, in Exodus 25, when Moses is given the Ten Commandments, he's also given a set of blueprints. Let me read from Hebrews, who quotes that text. Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The word pattern is the Greek word tupos. So you will hear sometimes of a pastor speak of a type. A type is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. And if you know Hebrews, then you know that some of these Jewish Christians were tempted to go back and worship in the temple in order to escape persecution and their businesses being boycotted. But the, boycotted. But the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that those things, those uh, sacrifices that were made were just shadows or copies and that they needed to come to the real thing, who is Christ. 
And so those priests who served in the first tabernacle, later the first temple, and then the second temple, were serving in a sanctuary that was a copy, that was an example, a type of the one that was literally in heaven. And after the rapture of the church, as we've already seen, when the door in heaven is open, you will see this temple. But remember, this temple is still there before the millennial reign of Messiah. Why is it still there? I suspect God's going to teach us a lot. Because during the millennial reign, Ezekiel tells us of another temple, a fifth temple that is going to be built, depending on how you number them. It's different from the tribulation temple. Some would put it three, some would four. But then there's the millennial temple. And remember, people will enter into the millennial reign who survive the tribulation in their natural bodies. They will have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And each of those people will need to make a decision for Jesus. And one of the tools that God will use to Jew, for Jew and Gentile alike will be the millennial temple. It will be instructive, like the Lord's table today is instructive. It will be instructive to the children of tribulation saints and the grandchildren who will need to decide for or against Christ. And of course, if you remember, at the end of the millennial reign, a great number like the sand of the seashore who don't receive Jesus during that thousand years when he's ruling will go against him, but that will be squashed in a moment. But now the need for the instruction that would have been given during the millennial reign, and certainly I'm sure there will be many, maybe some even here, that will be God's teachers during that time who, because Zechariah tells us that people yearly will need to make a pilgrimage here, at least a representative from the nation, there will be no more need for this. Remember, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the original temples, God was in a certain place. He was localized. But in this coming heaven, God will fill the place. God will be everywhere. I saw no temple. Why? Because or for the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. What a crushing blow, by the way, to amillennialism in covenant theology. So there are some popular books written on heaven, and they use a lot of the passages in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel, like Isaiah, that speak of the millennial reign of the Messiah on the earth. And they try from those passages to give us a picture of what heaven is like. But he's not talking about heaven in those places. He's talking about the millennial reign of the Messiah. And so if you're going to be consistent and use these passages like Randy Alcorn does in his book on heaven, and there's some good things in his book. I'm not dismissing that. But there's a lot of error in the book that's driven by his covenant theology. But if you're going to be consistent... Oh, there's a temple. There's no temple in this place. So you run into some real problems. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Why is there no need? Because the Father's presence is no longer limited to some localized spot. He is filling with the Son and with the Spirit because these members are co-equal, co-eternal. They cannot be separated. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. They are filling this place. When heaven comes down to earth, there will be no need for a temple, no need for a sanctuary, 
No need for a cathedral, no need for a church building, because God will fill the place in every dimension of our lives as we are in our resurrected bodies. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for Apple and Android devices, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV65. Tomorrow, the conclusion of When Heaven Comes to Earth. Join us then as we search the scriptures. <music>